Welcome to the Everyone's a Critic Movie Review Podcast. I'm your co-host, Bob Zerl. With me, as always, is professional film critic, Sean Patrick. Visit us at IHateCritics.net, Everyone'sACriticPodcast.com. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Our handle is CriticsPod. Uh, you can listen to the show at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Alexa, all your podcatchers. And you can watch us live on YouTube on Monday nights around 8 central time, give or take 5 or 10, 20, 30 minutes, depending on which one of us is running late. Uh, Computer updates. Yeah. What are you going to do? I mean, I, I finished eating dinner at 7.58, so <laughs> <laughs> I was pushing it too. Uh, then we're Patreon, patreon.com slash pods. the best way to help support the podcast. Working on uh, bonus episode ideas. Uh <clears throat> and Bob, starting today, we have a contest. Yes. Uh, there's a new movie called Deliver Us from Evil, and it's uh, opening on Blu-ray and DVD tomorrow. And you can win a copy of Deliver Us from Evil, which is quite a, quite an interesting film. Uh, I've I've only watched part of it. I didn't get a chance to watch the whole thing today, but uh, it's coming out tomorrow. And you can win a copy by giving us a five star review on Apple or wherever you wherever you go for your podcast, wherever you can review podcasts. Uh, that'd be really good for us. And if you let us know uh, that you did it, uh, you'll win a copy. We've got five of them to give away. So you can even have the one that uh, that I watched. Yeah. So, yeah, hit us up on social media if you do do a review. We'll also go try to check all the platforms as well. But there's so many out there that uh, we may miss them. So please let us know if you leave that review. Uh, and we'll definitely get it out to you. Uh, we also have our Tee Public merch over at IHateCritics.net. Up in the right-hand corner, you can click on the link to buy one of these shirts that'll probably get me canceled someday. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, be sure to watch uh, Deliver Some Evil starting uh, on demand tomorrow as well as on physical media. Excellent. All right, let's jump into the show and start with Army of the Dead. Army of the Dead is uh, the new movie from Zack Snyder. He of the uh, Snyderverse and, of course, uh, the uh, Snyder Cut of most recently. Uh, stars Dave Bautista and a group of people that uh, you're going to forget who they are right away, aside from maybe Tignataro, who's just you know more interesting than pretty much everybody else in this movie. Uh, also added after right. the movie was completed. This movie is so long. I, I really just couldn't take it. Um, this one is not nearly as much fun as what Snyder has done in this genre before. Dawn of the Dead ha- had energy and speed and and uh, a lively, you know, uh, plot that, with characters that I was fascinated by, with Bing Rames and Sarah Polly. Good cast. This one, everybody just melts into the background who isn't Batista. Um, Hence and the poster. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I lost track of who was who. Uh, very early on and and really didn't care to try and keep up with uh, who survived and who didn't. Uh, uh, this is this is disappointing because I thought maybe Snyder was getting better as a filmmaker. I thought I really liked the Snyder cut. I was really impressed with what he did with that. Uh, and this just seems like the typically Snyder-esque regressions that we're, we're, we're used to. Uh, a lot of a lot of juvenile humor. Lots of uh, you know quick cuts, uh, and yet not nearly enough of them because <laughs> he somehow left this movie to be two and a half hours long. Good God! I mean, really, uh, this is a zombie heist movie. A guy Vegas has been overrun by zombies. A guy outside of Vegas wants to send a team in to reclaim his two hundred million dollars inside of a safe in his casino. He hires Batista for the job, who puts together a team. You've got to go with the putting a, together a team montage from every other movie, but longer this time. And uh, then you've got the side missions that, of course, have to happen in movies like this, where, oh, so-and-so is lost in the zombie area, and we have to go save her. We don't have time. We've got this to do, and there's a bomb coming. And, oh, but we have to. Okay, I'm a good guy. I'll go do it. Uh Two and a half hours long. Good. I mean, Snyder, come on, man. <laughs> come on, man. This is just way too long. Yeah, it's hard for me to criticize anything else because you need to cut a good hour of this out. 
Yeah. You know, it's hard to say anything else is wrong with the movie except for that because I don't know. It's just wait. I mean, <laughs> that's a lot to cut out. A movie yeah. like this needs to be tight and fun and quick, and it, it drags on for way too long. I wasn't shocked at the length because Zack Snyder has done long movies. Like almost all of his movies are long, but yeah. you know he's working with you know with Watchmen and even the Batman and Superman stuff. Those are characters we were already familiar with. They were worlds we were interested in, uh, so <clears throat> it works a little better here. He's introducing everything, everybody to us, and he just he needed to cut it up a little bit better, a lot better. Uh, yeah. it's gotten to the point where the behind the scenes story is more interesting than the movie itself. <laughs> Yeah, and which, by the way, they've released a documentary on the behind the scenes of this movie, which I'm sure is far more interesting. Uh, yeah, and the classic uh, Gene Siskel line, I'd rather watch this group of people have a conversation than, than make this movie. Like, I'd rather watch Dave Bautista talk to Tig Notaro than yeah. watch this movie. Except far, they've never far met. More interesting. They've never met in real life. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> that would be far, still far more interesting. Yes. And it's hard for me to even say that because I don't know. There's an hour too much in this. If you take it out, maybe it is good. You know, it's hard. To, it's just impossible to for me to really you're gonna review sp- it. You're going to spend most of your time during this movie on your phone doing other things because you're going to get bored. There's just no other way about it. You've seen these scenes before, and it's not a particularly inventive zombie movie. The zombies, I guess there's a zombie couple. Uh, that uh, is supposed to be kind of a, a different twist on the zombie genre, but it's not nearly enough to, to make these zombies all that interesting. Well, again, the length. <laughs> I mean, I hate yeah. going back to that. But <laughs> even if it was interesting, it's so long that a lot of people are going to turn it off. Uh, yeah. This is definitely a movie I could see where you're. if you were to look at the Netflix stats, people aren't finishing it. I guarantee it. Uh, I mean, some are, yeah. but I, I guarantee I, you the But mo- I bet. I bet most of them are scrubbing it. They're like, okay, great. Let's get through this and get to the next zombie thing. Okay, there's zombies. I'll stop here. Right. <laughs> That's how most people are watching this movie. Yeah, and if anybody's not aware, uh, Chris D'Elia was, they filmed the whole thing with him in it, and they yeah. went back and spent millions of dollars to cut him out and put Tignataro in it. <sighs> And that's the best thing they did. <laughs> this movie. Yeah. Because she's fantastic. And yeah. And I mean, the, you, you could have dropped in Chris Delia being eaten by, eaten by zombies somewhere. But other than that. <laughs> but I mean, it kind of went seamless. I, I couldn't really tell yeah. them the fact that I knew. And that right. alone is pretty impressive. But overall, it's just kind of. It's self-indulgent and way too long and not different enough from other zombie movies to make it more interesting than other zombie movies. I mean, uh, a zombie heist movie is a good idea, but again, you're talking about two genres that, that thrive on, you know, quickness, getting to the point, doing the, doing the thing. You know, you've got to put your, t- you've got to do the, put your team together montage, but that whole bit about uh, the, the hospital workers outside the zombie area, like who the hell cares about that. I know you're trying to inject some emotional, involvement in it but i really don't want that in my zombie movie <laughs> well you're in a zombie movie in vegas on top i mean yeah they're clearly not the premise isn't meant to be serious at all so right. why even waste zombie, time with that you've got a zombie tiger in this movie <laughs> stuff that probably is cool if this is a tight movie i really think if they yeah i don't know what they would have cut off i mean it's hard because i was on my phone so i don't know what they would have cut yeah but uh, just long, boring, and I was playing Uno for. I got about a half hour in, and I just started playing Uno on my phone, and I looked up a few times. Still not. Vegas it was just yet. not good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, it took a a long time for them to get there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just disappointing. Disappointing because I, I again, I did honestly after after the seeing the Snyder cut and seeing. How, how well put together that was for a four an hour for a four hour plus movie. That is a really good engaging movie. It's a lot like watching, uh, you know, a really good you know Netflix TV show that you just you know let run for a day. Like that was exciting. This is just not. This is this doesn't have a. This doesn't feel episodic. It feels endless. Yeah, and I largely like what Zack Snyder does more than not, but this is not one of them. Oh, and then you throw in what they did with the WWE. That's even worse. 
The Miz died, man. <laughs> I mean, I know Netflix and WWE must have some sort of agreement, but oh, it, it's millions of dollars that they that they got for that, yeah. And yeah, it's just millions of dollars and the reputation of Damian Priest, unfortunately. <laughs> Miz will survive it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Miz will get out. Oh, yeah, Miz can do anything. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to The Dry with Eric Bana. Yes, The Dry is the story set in Kiwara, Australia, a made-up town, but it's in the outback. Uh, and it's uh, in this town that is suffering from a severe drought and has been for some time. And it plays out in a fashion that really makes you wonder if this drought isn't somehow biblical, given the the nature of the the sins and the secrets involved with everybody in this movie. Eric Bana plays a federal agent who returns to Kiwara after years away. He grew up there as a child. He's been gone for about 30 years. He left under some very uh, unusual circumstances when a girl that he was uh, friends with, that he had a crush on, uh, played by B.B. Betancourt, flashbacks, uh, disappeared and then turned up dead near where he actually was that day. He didn't kill her, but a lot of people have a lot of reasons to believe that he was involved, especially after he made up uh, he and his partner, Luke, his buddy Luke, make, made up a uh, alibi for him that was clearly a lie. Uh, he comes back to Kiwara because Luke is dead and is accused of having killed his wife and son and then taken his own life. Uh, Luke's parents don't believe that he actually killed himself, and they turn to Eric Bana's uh, federal agent to to investigate, to, to look into this. And he partners up with the local sheriff, played by Greg Rocco, who's really impressed by his reputation as a federal agent and isn't aware of his history in the town. Uh, the two go on the go on the hunt to find out what happened, and what what they uncover throughout is a series of secrets and lies that are really entertaining and easy to invest in there's a lot of really good red herrings in this mystery but also just this really strong emotional core especially when it comes to eric banna and another character played by genevieve o'reilly uh the two of them were were the uh essentially the boyfriend girlfriend of the of the luke character and the bb bettengort character now who both of whom are dead so they have this massive shared trauma plus several of their own secrets uh, that that they're keeping from each other, but are, but are going to be revealed throughout and uh, put in peril the potential relationship that they might have. I, I really enjoyed this. Robert Connolly is a smart director who makes a lot of really great choices, and and the atmosphere of this movie, this sweaty, dry atmosphere, and especially the threat of brush fire in this area is really one that that underlines everything. It's a very fiery situation, and and it's almost like the fires of hell could. You know, pop up at any moment to swallow the entire town. Uh, this movie is awesome. I really liked it a lot, uh, and uh, I, I highly recommend it. Does it stick around at the end of the year? Your best of the year movies, or it's it's hanging around like a bottom of the top ten. So I'm not sure if it's like it's that good. It's more it's much more pulpier uh, than it is like really deeply emotionally investing. So it's more of a it's more of a mystery uh, than it is a movie that really sticks to your ribs like that. Any flaws? I was going to watch it. It just looked overly complicated for as late as we were going to turn it on. Like too much going on. Some of the redneck characters are a little stock, but uh, you know, they're outback Australian redneck characters. So there, at least there's that difference. They've got great accents. (laughs) (laughs) No, it looks a really well put together movie. And I, I do, I do highly recommend it for fans of mysteries, especially this is a really good one. All right, American Pie Drunk Bus. <laughs> I watched the trailer. I didn't watch the new, but this funnier looks nothing, funnier die. But it looks nothing like either one. I mean, it looks like a straight up kind of a artsy comedy. It's a it's a comedy drama, really. Actually, uh, stars a guy named Charlie Tahan, who's uh, popular from the Netflix series Ozark. Uh, he plays a guy who uh, got dumped by his girlfriend uh, several years before the start of this story. She dumped him and moved to New York. Uh, he thought he was going to spend the rest of his life with her and become a ph- photographer. And instead, uh, after she dumped him, he just decided to keep his job driving the drunk bus on his college campus and just kept doing it even two years after he was out of college. Uh, things begin to turn around in his life after he gets assaulted on the bus one night and his boss uh, played in a very uh, slight uh, kind of funny cameo by Will Forte, assigns him a uh, bodyguard, 
Uh, the bodyguard is played by a guy named Pineapple Tangaroa, who's this uh, city of Austin personality. He's got tattoos all over his face. He's got a lot of piercings. He's a big, kind of scary-looking guy, but he's also this cuddly teddy bear. And uh, he becomes kind of a guru for uh, Charlie Tahan's character and uh, begins to lead him out of the wilderness of his life and uh, try and gets him to try and open up and have some fun. And that's a really fun story. And it really really turns entirely on the relationship between Charlie Tahan and Pineapple Tangaroa. If, that, if they don't have chemistry, this movie doesn't work, but they do. And Pineapple's a really interesting character. He, he's got a lot of facets to him. He's very charming. Uh, he's, he's cuddly and sweet, but also very intimidating when he has to be. And uh, that's, that's fun to watch. And you, it's really, it, it is really nice when, you know, when you're watching a guy like Charlie Tahan's character be bullied for as long as we're watching him be bullied and belittled, it's nice to see somebody stand up for him. And when, when Pineapple does that, it, you, you kind of get that visceral thrill, that a little bit of uh, buzz from that. And that's really fun stuff. And then of course he, there are other characters in the movies. There's, there's a female character who's a pretty obvious uh, potential love interest that he's kind of overlooking because he's the entire movie. He has this text message from his ex-girlfriend that's been hanging over his head for a little while. She said she's coming back from New York and possibly moving back from New York. And he doesn't know how to respond to that. It's put him into a tailspin just as we're joining the story. So lots of stuff happening there. It's a funny movie. It's a sweet movie. It's got really uh, wonderfully sweet moments. There's a guy in the movie named the, the character's name is fuck you, Bob. And all he does is just say, fuck you, Every time he does, every line he has is just "fuck you, Bob." <laughs> and so he just says "fuck you" to everybody. Uh, and and he has a surprising, you know, ending the way his character plays out in this movie. Uh, so yeah, I, I like the, I like this movie. It's not it's not nearly the kind of raucous, you know, Porky's esque comedy that the, that the title "Drunk Bus" might imply. It's much more charming than that. Well, yeah, especially when you throw the funnier die on it. It's just like this has to be silly. Uh, I mean, watching the trailer, I thought I, I almost thought his bodyguard was an imaginary friend, just by the way they <laughs> showed it in the, the trailer. But yeah, they could have gone that way. They could have. Uh, I they didn't, but they could have gone that way. Doesn't sound like it was necessary. There's also a wonderful character in this movie played by uh, alt comedian Dave Hill, who plays a character named Devo Ted. He's he loves Devo the band Devo because they're from near where the, where he lives. And uh, he doesn't realize that his name Devo Ted, actually, if you look at it, he's tattooed on his hands and he doesn't realize it spells out devoted. (laughs) (laughs) So many comedies would have screwed that up. (laughs) You gotta have a guy. You gotta have a guy like Dave Hill to pull that off. I mean, I can I can literally hear your review, or figuratively hear you say, "Get it, devoted, ha ha, funny," and a really a bad movie. You know what I'm saying? Right. Right. So that's impressive. No, it was so good that actually before before the reveal, I was it didn't hit me. Either. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, but it is available. Uh, it's streaming yeah, it's right available now. immediately. Uh, then there was Blast Beat. I didn't check this one out because your review said not to. <laughs> yeah, it's a really middling effort here. This one is a movie starring Mateo and Moises Arias, who starred in the another version of this movie about five or six years ago that was, I believe, a short film. And now they've expanded it out to a full-length movie. And there's a lot going on in this movie, but they just don't really pick a perspective here. The idea, I guess, starts with kind of this goofus and gallant story of two brothers. One's, you know, the noble, good-hearted, mom-loving, successful brother who's also happens to be like a devotee of death metal. And then you've got the skater boy, little brother, who's a constant screw-up and a, you know, a problem to his family for uh, all time just because he constantly gets into trouble. Uh, they're on a track to where they're moving from their home uh, in in uh, Central America to Atlanta, Georgia, so the older brother can attend the uh, Georgia Technical Institute. Uh, his father's already moved up there several months earlier because of threats to his life, so he's already up there, and he's bringing his wife, uh, so it's Wilmer Valderrama and Diane Guerrero. Uh, Diana Guerrero from uh, Orange is the New Black play the parents in this movie. And there's an immigration story going on. There's an education story going on. There's multiple different uh, potential love stories going on. And none of them really get enough attention or enough time 
to really develop. Uh, the brother wants to be the, the older brother, the the good one, uh, so to speak, wants to be a NASA scientist, and he's very he's very you know, hard headed and and uh, you know driven to get to that point. And, and I like the juxtaposition of being of him also having a devo- devotion to death metal <laughs> to go with that. It's a it's an it's a unique set of traits to have. Uh, and that I think that's a more interesting track for this movie than this thing about the you know, the little brother constantly getting into trouble or the parents uh, having you know immigration issues. Uh, and it's also set in the year uh, it's set in the year 2000 for reasons that I can't even begin to understand. Uh, there's really there, there's really no need. It it takes the impact away from the immigration story because the immigration story is more interesting if you said it in you know, 2019, um, you know when when that was a, such a hot button. Not that it wasn't in 2000, but it was much more of an issue. You know, just about two years ago, when everybody was worried right. about being sent home. Uh, setting this in 1999 kind of takes the punch out of that. Um, so th- there's a lot of choices here. And a, like I said, a lot happening, but not nearly enough. And why is the movie called blast beat? Just because the older brother likes death metal. I, that, that doesn't was, really. That was going to be I my mean, question. It, yeah. I, I don't know. I guess it's, I guess it kind of relates to him wanting to blast off in a blast off his satellite into orbit, I guess maybe, but I don't know. So it, the, the, the the title seems like a choice that was you know, made at the last minute. I mean, it seems like the metal would have had to be the f- what the movie is about if you're going to call the title Blast yeah. Beat. And if, if, I mean, how much time do they spend with death metal? Or is it just he likes death metal and they move on? <laughs> they have a couple scenes with it. Like uh, there's a concert scene early on in his last night in Columbia uh, and the family's last night in Columbia. And then. Uh, yeah, he's constantly kind of putting on death metal to to focus and to do you know his his stuff that he's doing to try and get into NASA. But beyond that, yeah, it's not really a major focus of the movie that he likes death metal. No, it's I like I've been very busy this last year, and my wife isn't as busy because she gets to work from home, and it's all great for her. But she'll invite the nieces and nephews over. And I'm just like, I just need quiet. I need I need the noise to go away, and then so I'll go and just I'll play metal or death metal or whatever at full volume or whatever, just kind of and put my head under a pillow and just listen to it. And she's like, right. "You just said you don't want noise." I'm like, "But this clears everything out. It helps me focus." <laughs> Uh, I can definitely sense that. I might not be a death metal fan, but I can definitely sense where that, where that cathar- the catharsis of that blast beat uh, makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, and, and I'm not so much a death metal guy because once you start getting into the genres, it gets a little crazy. But just you know, some metal in general. Uh, but yeah, really, there's a lot. There's a lot more buzz for the soundtrack of this movie than there is for the actual movie itself. I mean, I will say when you named the movies for this week. This is the one I was most excited about because of the name. I'm going to find out. Nah, I don't need to see it. <clears throat> I mean, if you came back and said it was all about metal, I'd go back and watch it. But yeah, <laughs> I didn't get that from your review or what you just said now. So. Yeah, no. All right. What I did watch, <laughs> which you did not, was the uh, Amazon Prime documentary Pink, All I Know So Far. Let me ask you this: Is this just like a like just a a big wet sloppy kiss on for Pink from Amazon? Is that what this is? I would. I don't think so. Uh, oh, interesting. Okay. I mean, I guess I could. Maybe I relate enough. I have two kids, a girl and a boy. They're about the same age, age difference. It's all about her family, and then it's yeah. about her getting to play Wembley Stadium, which. Is always a big deal. The Foo Fighters did something a few years ago when they got to play Wembley Stadium, and it was just a cool thing to watch. And so, yeah. just kind of watching somebody achieve that is fun for me automatically. Uh, then you throw in the family dynamic and trying to do a tour, but you know, be on the road. Yeah, you know, she's a mom, but they can't go outside. They, can, I mean, uh, so they're just stuck inside a lot. Uh, her littlest kid still just becomes the star of the movie. Uh, and, and it's just about her getting to Wembley Stadium. You know, they go from arenas to stadiums by the end of the tour. She's got 
I don't know if you've ever seen videos of her live, but when she does award shows and stuff, she does pretty impressive stuff while singing, which most yeah. other pop stars don't do. They lip sync while they dance. She's flying around, right. flipping and flopping. And, <laughs> uh, so it's really neat. And now they're doing this on a the same show on a much bigger stage. So she's got to run around more and sing more. And, you know, she doesn't have the energy, you know, the stamina to do it. So then they have to rearrange the show. It just... I, it's the kind of thing I'm interested in. So I, uh-huh. I, I think one being the same age as her and Carrie Hart and having kids similar. I mean, they're different. My kids are older, but you know, the similar distance apart, you know, the same mm-hmm. gender. Uh, I was able to relate to it more. And then just, you throw in the fact that it's about, you know, somebody achieving a dream of playing Wembley stadium, which is really a big deal for any artist. Uh, I, quite frankly, I was shocked she'd never played it before because she's pretty huge. Yeah. Uh, and I guess I, I was just I was entertained by it enough that if it was a you know something cheap for Pink from Amazon, I I, I didn't f- notice that it. it's not her life story. It's just literally you know her you know achieving success to Wembley Stadium and watching somebody get excited about that. Uh, that's cool. I like her a lot. She's 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 really talent, really really talented. Uh, I've always enjoyed just about everything that she's done. And next week we're going to talk about a documentary about an artist that I hate and that is really uh, highly irritating. So it's nice to nice to know this is out there as a kind of a counterbalance. I didn't want to complain. I wanted to make a joke, but I there's no way I could make the joke without it sounding like I was complaining. Like we're not doing pink, but we're going to do Moby. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> I'm not allowed to talk, say whether or not that's true. That's the movie or not. Oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> There's an embargo, Bob. Well, you just didn't like the guy. You know, the movie exists. <laughs> I was able to okay. Google it. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> anyway, uh, we'll talk about that next week. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, I, if you like Pink, I recommend it. If you like the one, I like. I always. I wish Pink was more rock. Uh, but if she was, she would just be like what Hailstorm is, and there'd be a ceiling of where how far she could get. So mm-hmm. it's it's neat. I definitely recommend it, and especially if you're a fan of Pink. All right, <laughs> one of these movies we'd never talk about if there wasn't a pandemic. <laughs> Amityville <laughs> Poltergeist. Amityville Poltergeist is a movie that earned the title Amityville Poltergeist only after it was purchased by by a shady distributor who put this out there and gave this title to try and sell it to people. The the image that people are seeing on our YouTube feed right now has absolutely nothing to do with this movie. There is no there is no ugly looking demon pig guy. The house isn't even the same. <laughs> like it's, it's such a lie. Uh, the title's a lie too because they never mentioned Amityville during the entire movie, nor do they mention Poltergeist. the The big bad in this movie is basically like a low rent version of the girl from the ring. Oh, wow. <laughs> so the idea here is that this guy needs some money, uh, he's, he, and he goes on some uh, type of Craigslist types website and finds a uh, somebody looking for a house sitter. Uh, it's an old. It's a uh, the son of an older woman who is uh, needing to go to a hospital for a few days because she's been uh, seeing things in her house that other people don't see. Uh, demonic presence uh, presences who are you know knocking on the doors and doing all those things that demonic presences presences do in bad movies. You know, knocking things over, walking up the stairs really loud, that kind of stuff. But they never really do anything dangerous. Uh, <laughs> this movie is so bad. It is like it looks like it was shot in somebody's bedroom. I mean, <laughs> it really does. It, uh, I and I can appreciate that kind of low rent ingenuity. At the same time, you're talking about a movie that's called Amityville Poltergeist. So I mean, I, I don't, I can't blame the filmmakers for that. They didn't do that. They oh, no. they, they called this movie uh, No Sleep. I think is what they called it. Um, the distributors thought, oh, we can cash in and call it Amityville Poltergeist. And it really reflects poorly on the people who made this movie. Well, they screwed um, up by not calling it an Amityville Poltergeist Exorcist. <laughs> I mean, that's all they're doing is naming popular horror movies. Right. <laughs> oh, man. I love the fact, though, I, it is 
comedy gold that they go through the entire movie without actually mentioning Amityville. <laughs> There's just no mention that they're anywhere near a place called Amityville. Uh, they don't even go. They didn't even go back. They didn't even bother to go back and loop in some dialogue saying, "I got to go all the way to Amityville." Just one line. One line. <laughs> I mean, I understand it. I mean, my brother's movie has been renamed like three times. <laughs> yeah. Most recently, it's a wonderful slice. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, oh man, yeah, this movie is awful. It is not. It is uh, not good in any way. It's it's not really even fun to laugh at. Uh, because you you can see where you know there's that there's that uh, old college try going on amongst everybody in the cast and the and the crew. You know, it's just a group of people who just don't have the money and and the idea to actually really do something. They just went ahead and tried to do it anyway uh, without having the real you know the real gumption to to pull this off, the ability <laughs> to pull this off, and somehow. For them, you know, they managed to get this in front of a distributor who was willing to put it out to people like me to talk about it <laughs> under this title. Well, it's the title. I mean, and because of that, you lose any any hope of any charm that could have maybe been there. Yeah. It just disappears because of the name of the movie and <laughs> the fact the distributors came in and ruined all that. Yeah, so. it's it's I feel I kind of feel bad for the filmmakers at the same time. This movie wouldn't get out if it right. weren't called Amityville Poltergeist. So hopefully they're getting well compensated somehow. Oh, they're not. <laughs> they're not. <yeah. laughs> no shade at Broken Gla- Breaking Glass Pictures. They've done a lot of really good movies. This is just a really bit of shadiness on their part. <laughs> yeah, and it's a business move. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's move on to our classic. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the main event for the linear, legitimate, and universally recognized, undisputed classic. White Zombie. Now, you're going to admit right now that you chose this because of Rob Zombie, right? (laughs) I would have done it earlier if I did. I mean, I'm not going (laughs) to pretend like I haven't thought about finding a way to work a Rob Zombie reference in, but you beat me to it. So, <laughs> But, I mean, I, I hear about this movie a lot from horror fans, kind of in the yeah. same breath as Frankenstein and Dracula and all these movies. And I don't know. I didn't. I thought it was a little bit more boring than those. Am I wrong? I agree. Yeah, this is not, like, nearly as good as The Mummy, for sure. That movie is incredible. Like, that is a, a true work of art. Um and, and it's not even as good as Dracula, which you know Bell, starred Bela Lugosi. This one is just I, I I like the I like the attempt. I right. like what they're trying to do, but there's no way this movie was going to last beyond 1932, right? You know, in terms of being scary, because I mean Bela Lugosi's reputation is nothing anymore. You know, you say that name, there are a lot of people that just kind of who who was that? Uh, and then you know, then of course when you're watching it, and it's just all about his stare and this thing that he does with his hands. Like that's all the movie is. <laughs> it's kind of, it kind of loosens, lessens the impact of this. Uh, that, I, it's a better movie than army of the dead because it's only 66 minutes long. Right. Uh, <laughs> so I appreciate that. Uh, the idea here is that a couple, a young couple has traveled to Haiti for reasons they never bother to explain. Um, they end up accepting an invitation uh, very stupidly to go to this guy's uh, mansion in the middle of nowhere in Haiti. The guy, I mean, could not make it more obvious <laughs> what he's trying to do. He's trying to seduce the wife away from the husband, and they're just completely clueless, the, the couple. Uh, they just think, what a nice guy. <laughs> <laughs> they really look dumb. Um, the the guy who owns the house, he decides to enlist uh, Bella Lugosi to help him get the woman of his dreams by... by uh, taking her mind away, taking control of her mind and making it appear as if she's died and then brought back as a zombie. Uh, And she kind of is and she kind of isn't. It's hard to really say. Uh, She appears to be dead at one point, but then she's not dead. Um, (laughs) And she's just under the control of Bella Lugosi. There's a lot of ideas, like the uh, the idea of somebody who turns his uh, enemies into into his zombie minions uh, is kind of an interesting idea, but zombie in this movie takes on like a different, 
perspective. I mean, I guess they do ha- introduce the idea that these people are dead, but they're not dead. They're more right. mind controlled than they are dead. But maybe they are dead. It's hard to say. The movie's very vague on that point. Like I said, the best thing it's got going for it is that that runtime of 66 minutes and the name White Zombie. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's definitely uh, you have those classic movies that you just watch like, wow, that still holds up today. Then you have those classic movies where you go, I could see it working then. And this mm-hmm. is that. Uh, it, it definitely it doesn't stand the test of time. And the people that you know talk about it in the same breath as Dracula and Mummy and Frankenstein and all these other movies, I think it's more just their appreciation for that era of mm-hmm. movies because uh, I don't see it personally. Yeah, <laughs> but, I agree. I, I agree with you. I don't see I don't see this movie being nearly on the level of of Frankenstein or certainly right. Bride of Frankenstein, which is a true like artistic achievement. And then I would put the mummy above all of those. I right. think uh, Karloff's mummy is an, is an incredible movie that really does still hold up today as a genuine classic film beyond just being a monster movie. I do think that's a cool poster though. So maybe it's got that going for me. I could, would, I would like that on my wall. I would yeah. like to have that poster yeah. on my wall. So I, I, it has to be the imagery and the, just the idea of that era of films that people keep <laughs> this movie around for. But yeah, I was kind of bummed. I was hoping to be shocked. Yeah, I was. I was kind of thinking the same thing. Yeah. All right. This was a fun uh, text message thread back and forth. <laughs> Backdraft turns thirty years old. Backdraft. I, I'm starting to have this like glass breaking re- re- revelation regarding Ron Howard. That's making me afraid to ever watch Apollo 13 again, uh, because. <laughs> Going back and watching his stuff, it really, really doesn't hold up very well. I mean, his you, movies really feel like movies. I was going like, to say, you said it's too much of a movie. <laughs> and I was like, I, this, I knew exactly what you were saying. <laughs> I'm desperately, desperately spoiled by. You're right about Midsummer. Midsummer has ruined movies because I can't watch movies anymore. I want them all to be Midsummer. But you, you go back and look at what else is out. Silence of the Lambs came out earlier yeah. in 1991. Right. Goodfellas was a year before that. And I, and I know it's, if you look at music, it's just like Poison still released music into the 90s, even though Nirvana <laughs> existed. Uh, you know, this, it, is, this is a very unskinny bop movie. <laughs> right. And it, it says, I can't, there's nothing wrong with it other than the fact that it's just too much of a movie. It's just very, I don't know. It's it's highly predictable. It's uh, it, the the dialogue feels so completely stilted uh, from beginning to end. You go, I go, um, all that stuff, and that 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 uh, boring nineties machismo that that runs through the whole thing. Uh, uh, yeah, the fire stuff is fun, and and when De Niro walks in, and initially when he's on screen, it feels like. Okay, here's some energy. Here's some life. Here's a different vibe. And then he eventually succumbs to the whole magic of the fire. Did it look you in the eyes? Uh, the fire. The fire is alive. You see it. It's alive. Right. Uh, oh my god. I get it. You like fire. <laughs> it's pretty fine. And I mean, I worry when we get to like the the demolition mans and the cliffhangers. I still think those are going to be stupid enough fun <laughs> Right. that this one's just not dumb enough. I mean, it's like, it's either dumb enough or good enough to be anything. Right. Wildly mediocre. It's like you go, I go might've been cool in like 87 by 91. <laughs> it's not cool anymore. Maybe it still was. I don't know. Maybe uh, it definitely isn't now. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, and then whole romance of the fire thing. Did it look into your eyes? Oh my god! Shut up, Donald Sutherland! Shut up! But he's—I mean, again, Hannibal Lecter already exists. One right. existed twice. You know, he's playing more of the Michael Mann version. Even that was yeah. better than this. Yeah. Uh, It's—it's it's just going to be a weird few years until Pulp Fiction comes out. When I think everything just takes off the right direction, the eighties are still hanging out here, and that's what's just odd yeah. about this movie it's really unfortunate but 
man, I'm really having a rough time dealing with my uh, with my appreciation for Ron Howard. I really do think I appreciate Ron Howard. This is certainly a very competent yeah. movie in many ways, but it's also just incredibly stilted, predictable, and filled with these stock characters and stock lines. And it's just, it's groan-inducing. It's almost, it borders on cringe. I almost, like when I said cool in 87, I, I wonder if it had come out earlier. Because this isn't a movie I went back and watched a lot. I remember seeing it maybe once, twice, tops. Uh, as opposed to, you know, the Rambos and Terminators and uh, and even, you know, Cliffhanger and Demolition Man later on. Uh, this one should be in those ballparks, but maybe it's too competent for it. Uh, you, know this, you know what this feels like a lot is like it feels a lot like Navy Seals. It feels like this movie would appeal to the audience that Navy Seals appealed to. <laughs> yeah, because I mean Kurt Russell's character just kind of he's just diving through fire recklessly, even though he has a kid. And then the whole scene where she makes him leave because she doesn't want his heart to be her, his son to be to have to deal with his dad dying well he's still his dad so when he right, dies he's not going to change anything uh, he, yeah. know, he knows he's, he exists so I don't that whole scene was totally pointless pointless yeah uh, this whole subplot was pointless yeah but, and you know William Baldwin is fine but it, it, he's like incredibly bland in this and because he's the main character I think that's the movie takes on his persona, which is bland. Yeah. And there's uh, just no, there is zero like romantic sparks between him and Jennifer, uh, Jennifer Jason Lee. No. Yeah. There's just nothing there. They try and make that happen and it's just not happening. Um, you know, the, the, the more interesting relationship and the more interesting movie is him and De Niro investigating fires, which is hardly that's a far it. more. Yeah, that's a but that's a far more interesting movie uh, in the few scenes that it has. But even the big reveal, one of the big bads at the end is just like really <laughs> He's got a socket on his shoulder. <laughs> he basically solves the whole thing with dumb luck. <laughs> right. Like yeah. if he doesn't arrive at the at the house, at the firehouse at the exact moment that guy's taking a shower and sees that that thing on his back, the whole movie just doesn't. There's no resolution to the movie. It's just like it's just randomly it's just randomly assigned. It's just such a weak plot. And the whole Hugo Igo thing is totally pointless. He can't <laughs> possibly live. Now you're just gonna die too. <laughs> right. Uh. Ugh. The mannequin scene was kind of funny, though, even though I knew it was coming because I'd seen it before. <laughs> Did it look you in the eyes? <sighs> and there was Thumb and Louise, also turned 30, the far superior movie. Far superior. This one was written by Callie Curry and directed by Ridley Scott and stars Susan Sarandon and Gina Davis. This is a movie that Jodie Foster dropped out of so that she could be in Silence of the Lambs. Interestingly enough, it was going to be her and uh, Michelle Pfeiffer in the starring roles in this movie until they both dropped out. Michelle Pfeiffer went on to make something called Love Field, which good choice. No one remembers that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Tell with Louise uh, tells the story of uh, two friends that go on a uh, what they plan to be just a weekend vacation, uh, getting away from the men in their lives. And uh, they end up in a situation where Gina Davis is nearly raped by a guy named Harlan in a, you know, the parking lot of a honky tonk. Susan Sarandon ends up killing that guy, uh, not while he's doing it. A little while afterward, just a moment afterward, after he really pisses her off. So it's definitely murder. Yeah. <laughs> they're forced to then go on the run or they decide to go on the run uh, from there. And Gina Davis's character finds that she really likes being a criminal. <laughs> she's been this. <laughs> she's been with the same guy played by Christopher McDonald, this complete loser for her entire you know adulthood since she was. 18, 14 years old, I think is what she intimates eventually that she was with him since she was 14. Well, that's a long time and also highly cringe. 
Um, but but perfectly fitting for the character, and she really uses that backstory really well to 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 peel off the peel out the layers of this character as she goes on. It's a it's a, an incredible performance by Gina Davis. Um, you know, they meet a guy played by Brad Pitt along the way. Michael Madsen is the the kind of good guy uh, that uh, Sarah Sarandon is seeing, um, and then there's Harvey Keitel who plays what may be the first truly woke cop in movie <laughs> history. Uh, when you think about it, because look, look at every every choice that he made was trying to make sure that they didn't end up with a bunch of cops pointing guns at him. Because even then, cops were aware, if we end up in a situation where a lot of cops are pointing a lot of guns, somebody's going to shoot. Uh, that That is something that we knew 30 years ago, and we know even more better today that when you create that situation where you're putting a lot of men with guns in the same place, somebody wants to fire. That's just a, just a fact, just the, 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 the numbers bear it out. And that Keitel voiced that 30 years ago uh, is pretty, is pretty something. It's pretty observant on the part of uh writer, Kelly Curry and, uh, and for Rennie Harlan to include that was really interesting. And Keitel, Kaitel really brings an entirely different energy. Without him, this movie doesn't work. He is a linchpin to to making this work because he gives you this hope that there is a chance. Even after you've seen the movie, he's still like he's the hopeful aspect of this. Uh, even though you know where this is headed, uh, and that that final you know freeze frame shot is just it's such a perfect ending. It just couldn't be any other way than that. And that's poignant. It's sad, but it's also like true and rebellious and iconic in the kind of way that you know, the ending of Butch and Sundance is con- iconic or the, you know, the kind of, it's just that icon- kind of iconic ending that stays with you for 30 years. Yeah. It's, it's interesting too. Cause you could sit, I mean, they could have gotten, not necessarily gotten away with it, but they probably could have been okay. <laughs> they didn't need to go on the run necessarily, but right you buy into the fact that these characters would, you know, we yeah. have, we have the benefit of seeing Harvey Keitel's character and, uh, they don't. And on top of that, they're, they're somewhat sheltered They're you know, and one of them is starting to get off on the, the notion of being a criminal. Uh, so you but kinda- it, Sarandon, you know, has a well-earned cynicism about the system and about men, especially that, yeah. uh, is layered throughout the entire movie that, that really drives, <laughs> Her character to, and it makes complete sense. She doesn't. She doesn't trust these guys. She shouldn't, uh, based off of her, you know, right. own unique personal experience. Yeah, even if she's wrong, like at one point after she got raped, or Gina Davis' character got raped, she's like, "No one's going to believe us." Meanwhile, Gina Davis's face is all bruised and bloody, so they might have right. believed you. But I believe that she didn't believe that. You know, I, I yeah. bought into. You know, it's not your typical movie where they make all the wrong decisions. They make the wrong decisions, but I believe their characters would have done that. And that's, yeah. that's why this movie works is you don't sit there. You don't argue with the movie at all. And right. And the script neat. really, the Kelly Curry script really layers that aspect in. It's not hammer you on the head with that point. It's, right. it's a long, it's a long, you know, drawn out process of convincing you of, of that. And, and, you know, through, through just revealing bits of character piece and not, lengthy ex- expositional dialogue yeah no it's a really cool neat movie and it, uh did you see and i don't want to go back to wrestling but they used was it fox had this show with uh i think renee young hosted it and cm punk was on it and they had charlotte, yeah. charlotte flair on there and that she was talking about how her and becky lynch or thelma and louise and they were trying to figure out which one was which and cm punk goes who cares they both died at the end <laughs> <laughs> oh my god <laughs> but it's i mean that is something you always hear you know I, I, i'm not gonna even say women compare themselves to thumb and louise but I'm, it happens yeah guys should probably compare themselves to butch and some dance more even though we, more. i'm uh, i'm for i'm for non-binary comparisons so i'm there happy if i if i you and i can be we thumb, thumb and louise. louise there we go <laughs> thanks for getting me out of my trap that i walked into <laughs> Uh, there were other movies that turned 30. Uh, obviously, Thumb and Louise was the best this week. Right. Uh, Hudson Hawk is worse than Backdraft. <laughs> it's so bad. It was, so bad. 
Oh, Bruce Willis, just the, you know, the first hints of his completely giving movie, up. That he hates yeah. movies. <laughs> he really does. Dude, I just want to sing. That's all. I, I just want to sing. I don't care. I don't care about this. Just let me sing. I'll be in your movie if I can sing. <laughs> it was. I mean, it makes Tango and Cash look like a classic. I mean, it makes Backdraft look phenomenal. Uh, the John Candy movie Only the Lonely came out. Yeah, it's ago. a romantic comedy. Uh, he plays a, a writer who lives at home with his mom, who's kind of strict, and he's trying to date Ali Sheedy. And it was this period where people were trying to be convinced that John Candy was a l- romantic leading man. And, and I don't know. It's fine, I guess. And there are he wasn't, chasers. It, at the very least, at the very least, he wasn't like, it wasn't constantly look at the fat guy doing the fat guy things, you know, that wasn't, he, he would, he definitely, with this movie, at least he wasn't doing a lot of that. So uh, you can, I can appreciate it from that perspective. And then wild hearts can't be broken. Gabrielle Anwar starring in a movie about uh, diving horses, which uh, if you don't know, that was a real thing. Many, many, many horses died. <laughs> throughout the 1920s and 30s from people thinking it would be a great idea to have horses jumping off of high dives into small pools as part of circuses. Humanity! Yay! <laughs> we suck. <laughs> no shit. Oh, man. But it's a, it's a romantic, heartwarming family movie in which many, many horses died. <laughs> oh, man. Well, that is our show. Next week, we have Cruella, A Quiet Place 2, uh, The Moby Doc, Endangered Species, our classic is Lars and the Real Girl, and Soap Dish Turns 30. Before we go play Flick Chart, a reminder to go to patreon.com slash critics pod to help support the podcast. Uh, on any platform, give us five-star review, and uh, go ahead, Sean, tell them what they win if they... The first... The first five who do that will win a copy of the new uh, Asian action film Deliver Us from Evil, which has uh, gotten some great reviews from people who love the, that type of uh, you know, Asian action film. Uh, and uh, yeah, if you if you want a copy, let's post a five star review on on one of those places. Let us know you did it. Uh, and uh, Bob will get me your address and I'll send you the movie. Yeah, it looks like a very cool movie. Uh, and then our T public page at IHateCritics.net. If you click on the T public link up in the right hand corner, uh, you can get yourself some of our merch. And uh, Bob will put that up on our on our Twitter and Facebook as well too. Uh, uh, I'll put the I'll do the Facebook. You do the Twitter because I don't know how to do the Twitter. All right, fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> that works out. Uh, let's play a little flick chart before we call it a night. Uh, be dazzled ever after. Uh, bedazzled. I think it's shorter. <laughs> <laughs> I can get behind that. Uh, the Wedding Singer, Greece. Um, I don't know. I don't really care for either of these movies. Greece is one of those movies that I find to be tremendously, tremendously overrated. Um, the Wedding Singer, is Adam Sandler. <laughs> <laughs> In a bad wig, no less. Um, yeah, wedding Singer. Yeah, for Billy Idol. I think they're both <laughs> overrated, but The Wedding Singer is more watchable for me. Uh, the Phantom of the Opera, 2004. A Nightmare on Elm Street, Part 2, Freddy's Revenge. Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Sure. Transformers, Revenge of the Fallen, <laughs> Eyes Wide Shut. Eyes Wide Shut. <laughs> The Fast and the Furious, Singing in the Rain. Oh man, Singing in the Rain. <laughs> yes. Love Fast and Furious. <laughs> Wreck-It Ralph, The Bone Collector. Wreck-It Ralph, by a lot. Yes. Network, Iron Man. Tough. Um, network. I love Iron Man, though. Yeah, it's hard for me because Josh keeps putting us over a Rocky. I don't think it deserves that, but I'll go with Network because it is a good movie. It was a hell of a year, 1976. A uh, Beautiful Mind, Ron Howard versus Boys in the Hood. What might happen if I watch Beautiful Mind again? <laughs> oh my God. Boys in the Hood. 
Boys Hood is safer. I will safer say pick. my brother has been calling Ron Howard out forever, even though he's a huge Kurt Russell fan. He hated yeah. The Beautiful Mind because of the Ron Howardisms in it. Uh, the day it came out, it goes, I knew at the end they're going to all take a pen and put it there. It was just stupid. <laughs> so, but I thought it worked. Uh, the Hudsucker Proxy, Brady Bunch, the movie. Hudsucker, yeah. Brady Bunch is just a, just a couple of gags, really, more than anything. <laughs> Black Sheep, the interpreter. The interpreter is just so far up its own ass that uh, I just, the black sheep, because, yeah. The series of gags work better. <laughs> yeah. I'd rather watch Chris Farley fall down than sit through that, that up its own ass bullshit. <laughs> Only Chris Nolan knows how to get up his own ass and do it right. <clears throat> uh, John Q, Transformers, Revenge of the Fallen. John Q... Really, one of the—I mean, there's not much that can't beat a Transformers movie. Hot shots, Notting Hill. Notting Hill for me. I know I'm supposed to say that, but I like Hot Shots a lot. God damn it! I have to be on a wooden desk. Notting Hill wins. Stand by me, Superman. Stand by me for me. I agree. Love Actually, Tootsie. Love Actually. Fuck Tootsie. (laughs) (laughs) Dustin Hoffman. Uh, Two things that this podcast has ruined for me. Ron Howard and Dustin Hoffman. (laughs) (laughs) You forgot it ruined Crash as well. (laughs) (laughs) You're Kevin Spacey's going to act again? I heard that. He's going to be in a Franco Nero movie. Yeah. I, if all, it's only going to be good if Red Brown's also in it. <laughs> Arachnophobia, the ninth gate. I've been actually getting just like spacey conspiracy theory videos. There's this woman on on YouTube called the Internet Historian, and she did a video detailing how each of those vi- ridiculous YouTube videos that Spacey did came out like a day before or after somebody who had accused him of something had died. It is a weird coincidence. I'm not, that's all I'm saying. I'm not saying it's true or not. It's just a weird coincidence how that worked out. Well, just the three fact people, that, three of them yeah. dead. That alone, forget about the YouTube videos. <laughs> <laughs> three people dead was just like really. Uh, watch your back, Anthony Rap. Uh, Ninth Gate for me. I agree. The Full Monty Unforgiven. Unforgiven. Yes. It's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown, Scream 3. Yeah, Pumpkin. <laughs> Scream 3 is really bad. Prince Avalanche, Blue Velvet. I mean, I, I'm going with Prince Avalanche. Paul Rudd's pretty funny in that movie. It's not a movie that a lot of people have seen, but he's really good in it. And I don't, I don't enjoy Blue Velvet. I'll, I'll go with you. Not that you're supposed to enjoy Blue Velvet, but <laughs> I don't know what you're supposed to be during Blue Velvet. Right. It's still like David Lynch is so weird. Still, I like. Why is it easy to shit on Lost Highway, but then like Mulholland Drive and Blue Velvet, you got. I mean, Mulholland Drive is obviously one thing, but like we just say we. I mean, it's a good movie, <laughs> but. I don't I don't get any of them, but why do I know Lost <laughs> Highway sucks? Like, I don't understand that. Right. Spider-Man 2, 2004, Weekend at Bernie's. It's Spider-Man 2 all the way. Interesting note, though, I was listening to the newest episode of How Did This Get Made, and they were talking about uh, Terry Kaiser, who, of course, plays Bernie in that movie. It was in the movie that they're talking about. And... Paul Shear pointed out something pretty interesting in that when you really think about it, Terry Kaiser's performance in Weekend at Birdies is absolutely incredible. It's one of the greatest physical comedy performances of all time. You really believe that guy is dead <laughs> in that movie. He doesn't let on for a moment that he's alive. Can try and imagine being that actor pulling that off. That's pretty damn impressive when you think about it. As stupid a movie as Weekend at Birdies is, that is a hell of a performance. Yeah, but I could see like Peter Sellers or Jim Carrey doing it. 
I can't. Carrie would give away the game. He couldn't do a dead guy the entire movie. I don't know. <laughs> uh, Charlie Wilson's War, Easy Rider. Uh, Charlie Wilson all the way. I can't watch Easy Rider. Yeah. Ocean's 12, The Breakup. Ocean's 12. Agreed. Breakup should have been better. Yeah. Nymphomaniac, Ronin. I'm going to go with Nymphomaniac. I agree. This Ronin is just, it's just, it's a movie movie. It's, it's a Ron Howard, John Frankenheimer. Yeah. It's like a, the next <laughs> generation's backdraft. Bury me an angel. 1972. The Never asphalt, heard of it. About the asphalt jungle. I'm aware of the asphalt jungle. Have you seen it? It's been years. Like, I think we can skip both. All right. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of the Ooze, Monty Python's The Meaning of Life. If it were the if it were Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 1, I would definitely pick that, but I'm picking Meaning of Life. Agreed. Super Troopers, A Bug's Life. A Bug's Life. I hate Super Troopers. I don't hate it enough to... There's an audience for it. I'll vote for them, but you win anyway. You always win the coin flips. So I can't hear you, Bob. Can you hear me now? Yeah, no, I can't. I was mumbling to myself in the microphone. Sorry. <laughs> uh, Tango and Cash, semi-pro. Fubar. <laughs> Tango and Cash. <laughs> semi-pro sucks. Yeah. That was, that was like at the height of Will Ferrell doing everything right for a while, and then semi-pro yeah. comes out, and oh, no, he still sucks. Uh, <laughs> the Graduate, The Ninth Gate. Yeah, it's the ninth gate. I agree. Even though it's not even a great movie, I still would rather watch that than the than the graduate. Gravity Go. Gravity, but I love Go. I think Go's really good. Agreed. Deadpool two, the amazing Spider Man. It's Deadpool two. Agreed. So funny. Star Trek Beyond Blade Runner. Blade Runner. Agreed. Benny and June, Blade Runner 2049. Blade Runner 2049. Agreed. People are going to look back at that movie. They are going to look back at 2049 and see what they missed. I hope so. I just worry that it comes out at a disposable era of movies. Gaslight, Beethoven. Gaslight. Gaslight's a great movie. Rest in Sorry, peace. Charles Grodin. Yeah. <laughs> Rest in R.I.P. Charles Grodin. Super 8, A Little Princess. Super 8. Sure. The Karate Kid remake, Gone with the Wind. <laughs> the Karate Kid. Really? I hate Gone with the Wind so much. Oh. I've never seen it, so I'll just go with you. The Apartment, THX 1138. THX is amazing, but The Apartment is, you know, Billy Wilder, Jack Lemmon, and Shirley MacLaine at their best. I mean, they you can't beat it. Yeah. Rocks and Into the Wild. Into the Wild. Greed. Halloween H20. It. 2017. <laughs> it's it. But I do like, I kind of like H20, honestly. But for the right reasons? I think so. Okay. Uh, the Lion King. There's something about Mary. There's something about Mary. Still very, very funny to me. Agreed. Eagle Eye. The Long Kiss Goodnight. Eagle Eye. Gina Davis just never found her footing as a you know frontline star. She's good in a duo, but yeah. out front just never worked. Free Willy Dave. Dave. Free Willy kind of bores me. The Dish, Mr. Bean's Holiday. The Dish. One of the great underrated movies of the last 22 years. That movie is incredible. It stars Sam Neill. And it's about uh, how this uh, this uh, satellite station in Australia was the main reason that any of us got to see the moon landing and the the things that they had to do to make that happen so that the world could have this moment of seeing the man walk on the moon. That story is so incredible. It's so charming and funny and dramatic and people just completely missed it. I called that one of the top 10 movies of 2000 because uh, it really was that good. 
Stanley Kubrick in it, filming the fake moon landing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sahara being John Malkovich. Being John Malkovich. Stuck on you, Deadfall. Flip a coin, they both suck. Stuck on you. Phantoms, American History X. Netflix to bomb, yo. <laughs> that we're picking. I mean, I'm never going to watch American History X again. Yeah. Clerks to Little Miss Sunshine. Legitimately very difficult choice here. Legitimately. I love Clerks 2. Yeah. Uh, maybe it's my loyalty to Kevin Smith, but I love that movie. In my heart, I know Little Miss Sunshine's a better movie. So what are you picking? <laughs> Clerks 2? sunshine yeah i i'll just watch, the right thing to do in that yeah, one i'll watch clerks too but it little miss sunshine's amazing nosferatu the others the others have we done that as a classic nosferatu no i don't think so all right the truman show top secret truman show Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, The Jungle Book. Fantastic Beasts, Jungle Book, no thanks. Once Hancock. Once. Yes. Milk Splash. Milk. <laughs> Such a stupid two movies next to each other. Milk Splash. Uh, Star Trek Generations Meet the Parents. Meet the Parents. Creed. Generations sucked. Speed Polar Express. Speed. Agreed. Hellraiser Bridget Jones Diary. Bridget Jones. Dragonheart Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. <laughs> Dragonheart. 